You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Uh, We're stepping out of Ephesians because it's Mother's Day. And it's always good to uh, go to God's Word and see what He says about uh, mothers. And so let's pray. Holy Father, thank you for the Holy Spirit's inspiration of the book of Ruth to look at uh, this mother, Naomi, to see her in her honesty, in her weakness, in her uncertainty, and how she deals with it. Lord, may you open our hearts, both fathers and husbands and mothers and granddaughters and nieces and nephews and the family you've assembled here, um, to see the heart of this woman in the uh, hardness of life sometime. May it glorify and exalt you. May you lead us. And may we live in the sufficiency and supremacy of Jesus in all things. Amen. It goes without saying, I have never been a mother. I have, however, lived with a mother, mother for 45 years. I can remember watching my wife, Kathy, rub her stomach uh, with four children as God knitted them uh, perfectly and intricately in her womb. I can remember watching Kathy feed and nurture our children. I have watched her tenderly kiss our baby son goodbye and hand him into God's arms and then look with great expectation and worry and concern to her next pregnancy. I have watched her traverse, navigate the teen years of four teens. I have seen her hold her sons and send them off to war eight times. I have seen her walk through many James 1, 2 through 4 experiences. Count it all joy, my Kathy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. I know that in these 45 years of motherhood, Kathy has lamented and grumbled and questioned God. Early in her walk, she most likely did this wrong. But as God grew her up in her faith, he also showed her how to come to him in times of confusion, in her times of disappointments, in her moments of, why God? This is what I want to concentrate this morning on. How do we approach God, especially our mothers, in the moments of why? Because you're going to have them. Those mothers in here that have grown children and grandkids know it. Those of you that are expecting are going to have why moments. And we have this beautiful example in Naomi. Uh, Naomi is a God-glorifying example on how to, in these moments of why, in the moments when you don't understand why God's putting you through these things, how do you come to him? Because he asks us to come to him. I think in, in today's society, sometimes, especially in today's Christianity, we struggle on how to come to him when we're, when we're struggling, right? We're, um, we come to him in joy, but we're afraid to come to him in discontent. Problem is, I'm going to show you today, God gives us two beautiful examples that he desires us to come to in our discontent. And when when we don't even know why he's putting us through the struggle. But he expects us to come in a certain way. 
And from that certain way, he just pours out his kindness and his mercy upon us. So I want to look at, at Naomi. How many of you guys have read the book of Ruth? Raise your hands. Wow, quite a bit. Excellent. Most of the time, we skip right past what we're going to look at. Naomi is kind of this little side character in the bigger story of Ruth, in the bigger story of actually the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Savior. But when you, you, sometimes when you do Bible studies, when you do what we call good exegesis of Scripture, sometimes you've got to drop down to first gear, move really slow, and look at words very carefully. And when we do that with Naomi, we see an amazing thing about her faith. And so that's what we're going to really unpack today. A little bit about the history of what's going on. So Naomi and her husband leave Judea. They go up around the Dead Sea into the land of Moab. So the land of Moab is what we call Jordan today. So you have Judea here to the east. You have the Dead Sea. You have Jordan. That was Moab. Moab was not a God-believing uh, nationality. They actually believed in a God called Chemosh. And Chemosh was not a merciful, kind God. He was actually a very cruel God. He demanded for forgiveness, he demanded sacrifice of humans. So as we come and we see that they settle in there, she has two sons. Her sons marry two Moab, Moabite women. They bring them into their household. And what they see out of Naomi is the one true God. Remember their background, because I'm going to come back to it. Very, very central to the story of understanding the beauty of Naomi and how she works through the struggles of motherhood. Okay. We also see that she has these two daughter-in-laws. We see that she's a good mother-in-law because the, the Bible uses the word her daughters. And neither one of them wants to leave her. One does, but the other one clings to her. She doesn't just cry. She doesn't just say, I'm going with you. She won't let her go. And I'm going to unpack what, this, what Ruth sees so attractive in Naomi, because to my young mothers, I want you to go away, and I want you to own this truth of the promise of God. Because in our society today, when the world is trying to steal your child, you're going to face concerns and questionings. And every now and then, you're going to, wear, going to say, where is God in all this? And Naomi's going to show you how to get there, how to be comfortable, how to be at peace. So I'm only focusing on two things today. I want to show Naomi's faith in the midst of very difficult times, and very difficult motherings. Two different points we're going to look at. She never loses her reverence for God. Even when she says, God has dealt bitterly with me, she says it in an amazing, reverent way, understanding he is holy and other than me. And her faith in these why moments in her life is attractive to her daughter-in-laws. Those are two things I'm going to concentrate on. In these times of questioning, how do you face God reverently and holy? Because that's what she does. And then the faith that comes out of a reverent and holy view of God is attractive to her daughters. It's going to be attractive to your sons and daughters. It's attractive to the last world. 
So that's what we're going to concentrate on. First thing, number one, Naomi never loses her reverent view for God even when she asks why this has happened to me, even when she proclaims how she feels she has been deadly harsh. Look at verse 20. She says in verse 20, she's back when she's in, in Bethlehem, she says, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty, the word there for the Almighty is Shaddai, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord, spelt in the English, capital O, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital T, we'll get to that in a minute, has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She's complaining to the creator of the universe, but she's doing it in an amazing way. She always, 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 not one exception, addresses God in the unspeakable symbol for the most holiness of God. We've created this word, not found in the Old Testament, we say Yahweh. That's a creation of us. We've taken what we call a tetragram, a Y, a W, H, and a W. That was a symbol that the, that the Old Testament wrote is right. You didn't speak it because it was the highest holiness of God. It was unspeakable. We've taken it, and we've taken the word Adonai, the A off of Adonai, and put it next to the Y and the A, and the E off of Elohim, and put it by the H and the W, and we say Yahweh. We've created that name, that it's not a Holy Spirit-inspired name. And because of that, I think we lost the reverence of that word. We say it sometimes like it's no big deal. God inspired the writers of the Old Testament to make it that way, so when you saw it, you paused. You looked at his holiness. You looked at his reverence. You realize that he is other than us, that he exists outside his creation, that he is sovereign over everything. And all the way through this, this verse 20, when she goes that the Lord has treated me horribly, she uses the most highest thought of God humans can do. And so when you as mothers are in that time when you're going, why, God, why are you putting me through? I know Kathy. I watched her the first time she kissed Caleb goodbye when he went to Iraq for the invasion. And I watched her the whole time he was there. He was part of Task Force Tara. He saw a lot of combat. And he did that six times. And our other son, Reggie, did it two times. And every time I watched her struggle, and when Kathy struggles, she doesn't say anything. She fidgets, right? And she sits quietly. But you know she's struggling. But I saw her faith grow out of that. And I was so thankful to God that during that time, Kathy had already transitioned from this, this nice little, what I used to call a giant pumped up Pez dispenser God to the sovereign God of the universe. Because that's what got Kathy through it. The sovereign God of the universe. So Kathy, when she went to them, went in the reverence of the sovereign God of the universe. That's what Naomi shows me. 
God does not get angry with us when we come and grumble at him about what's going on in our life. If we do it reverently in acknowledgement of his holiness. Listen to King David in Psalms. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so, so far from me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer me. And by night, but I find no rest. David's grumbling. He's complaining to God. Next verse. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel, and you are fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. King David is a man known for being after God's own heart. So we see, and there's actually, if you read the Psalms, there's about five what we call laments or moanings or, mo or grumbling of King David. And every one of them sounds just like that. Where are you? You're not listening to me. And through every one of them, he turns back around and he does one thing. He acknowledged the otherness and holiness of God and he comes to him in great reverence. God wants you there when you wonder where he is. But you gotta come understanding he's God. He's not a pumped up Pez dispenser. He's a creator of the universe. In the hard times of motherhood, in the wise of motherhood, your heavenly father is there to hear them. Approach him like David and Naomi in reverence of his holiness. And from his holiness comes the vastness of his kindness poured out on you. Sometimes we turn that around. We look for his kindness to be poured on me because he's holy. And we have to remember he's holy and through his holiness comes his kindness and his love, and his mercy, and his compassion, because that's who he is. But he is God. And all he asks is, when you're not happy with me taking you, when you don't understand why I'm putting through this, Kathy, just come to me in who I am, and I will pour kindness on you, and I will pour mercy on you. And he promises that through the death of Jesus Christ. Number two, YHWH, what we call Yahweh, is a covenant-keeping God, and she gets that. She leaves, remember, she, her and her husband pick up, leave the covenantal land, go out of the covenantal land, have hard times. She loses her husband. She loses her two sons in a land that is not the covenantal promise of God to Abraham. She falls in love with her two daughters-in-law. Her two daughters-in-laws fall in <coughs> love with her. She decides to go back to Judea. Think of that. This is three generations before King David. A middle-aged lady at that time, probably of her 40s, because she would have had two sons that were married, and she probably got married about 15 or 16. So she's probably 46 or something like that. And a young lady traveling alone in a pretty harsh land. One, an Israelite. One not. No men to protect her. No men in the land. 
it's in her faith that she says, I'm going back to my people. And I'll let you guys read the rest of the book. And those of you who have read the rest of the book know why God upheld her faith to go back to Israel. Something I fear my conclusion that there is God's sovereign plan for many of you. But what Ruth is seeing is the faith of a Goliath. I'm going to strike out from the land of a God that believes that if I don't like you, to get out of my I don't like you, I'm either going to kill you or you better find somebody to sacrifice to take it off of the conclusion. So if you're Ruth and you're seeing this graceful lady that is saying never to the Philistines again, that cries out for God, she didn't cry out to the Lord, she cries out to God. She recognizes What he gives back in return is kindness and wisdom and love and compassion. Ruth sees this and she goes, where else would I go? This covenant-keeping God is attractive to her. This is not like the God I brought up. I could never have this faith because my faith is one of fear. You're not fearful, Naomi. You're going back, and you just got done saying, why has God dealt so harshly for me? And what are you going to do? You're going to go on a long journey to go back to this God because you know there you'll be covered by his covenants. Here's what a covenant-keeping God is going through Naomi's mind. And moms, listen up. In these hard times, this is a covenant-keeping God will keep you strong. The author of Hebrews writes, for when God made a promise to Abraham, that's the covenant that Naomi is so comfortable in. Since he had no one, to, no one greater by whom to swear, he swore upon himself, saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. Get this, verse 17 of chapter 6 of Hebrews. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, that's us, that's Naomi, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have a strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And I didn't know whether I was going to do this or not, but I am, because I think the Holy Spirit likes clarity here. The author of Hebrew has one 
Old Testament vision in his mind right here. That if you've never heard it, is amazing. So moms, listen up. He just got done saying that since God had no one greater to swear on, he swore upon himself in this Abrahamic covenant. This is it. Some of you guys have heard me teach this before. If you go back and you read the account of God and Abraham, there comes to a point where Abraham is told to cut animals in half. A bird, two animals. He cuts them in half. And he lays them out. And here's what that symbolizes. I'm a king. Jose's a king. Jose comes and takes my kingdom over. Right? Most of the time they didn't slaughter everybody like they thought because they really need those people to work for this whole new kingdom they own, right? And they normally never kill the king because they understood that the king will help loyalty. So Jose would come to me and says, I'm not going to kill you, but I demand loyalty. And the, and, and the ritual for demanding loyalty at that time was kill a bunch of animals, sit them by, side by side, and I walked down between them and would have told Jose that if I was not loyal to him, I end up like these animals. Right? So in the account of Abraham and God, what happens? They lay these animals out. Who should be walking between those to form a covenant with God? Abraham should. Who goes between them? God does. He swears an oath upon himself that if Abraham, I just promised you that all the nations of the world will be born through you. We are here because of the covenant that God made with Abraham. That's why we're here. That's what Naomi sees. She remembers that story because unlike us, they were really good storytellers. They, they were very, very detailed in the stories they passed down generation to generation to generation. And when Naomi was a child, she would sit there and her father would talk about this covenant with Abraham and all the promises that God has made and he keeps them. Why? Because he swore upon himself. And he cannot lie because that's who he is. And I got to imagine on that long trip back to Judea, Naomi and Ruth had some really interesting conversations. This is just my interpretation of what is not said in the Bible. This is not inspired. This is Tim's interpretation. But you look at Ruth's reaction to her mother. You look at Ruth, what Ruth does when they get to Bethlehem. She gets covenants. She understands them. And I got to think at some time she looked at Naomi. She goes, I, I got to have your faith. I wonder how where's your faith coming from. And the covenant-keeping faith of Naomi comes out of a God that does not lie. Okay, much lies. Think of your Ruth. Think of it, your children. That beautiful unborn children that God's knitting in you right now, right? When you sit down and sometime and at when he's eight or ten or she's eight or ten and you talk about this promise-keeping God, that's the God that Naomi shows Ruth. There are 7,147 promises in the Bible. And they're surety. They will happen. Because we have a promise-keeping God. God cannot lie. He is unchangeable. Just a few of the 7,147. Romans 8. All things work for the, for the good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And he goes on a little bit farther in Romans 8. Uh, slaughter and nakedness and famine all work for the good of those who love God. John chapter 10. 
shows a picture that Jesus says that you're in my hands and I'm in God's hands and nobody can snatch you out. That tells me surety. I've heard people say, but I can jump out. <laughs> really? He's got a view of a Camish God. He does not have a view of the God of the Bible. You're going to jump out of a sovereign God's hands? Big statement, man. I think Paul once said, who are you, old man, to talk back to God? Romans 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7. For the Spirit of God gave us for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. These are just one, two, three, four, 7,147 promises that are all completely sure to be fulfilled because God does not lie. Number, that's one and two. That's who she sees, and that's why she uses Y-H-W-H. So the next time you utter the words Yahweh, pause before they come off your tongue. And remember why the Holy Spirit inspired the Old Testament writers to do it. Stop and think of the otherness. You realize today, today in our time, not God's, he lives outside of time. But Revelations chapter four and five, talks about a song being sang in the altar room, in the, whole, in the throne room of God. And what do the 24 elders do? They go prostrate on the ground and worship God this side of the cross. This side of the cross. God is still other. He's an amazing other. Moms, if this is starting to get you and you want a little more, come talk to me afterwards because I want you to, to hold on to this. I'm 62 years old and there's things happening in our world today that I never thought at 62 that I would ever see. You young moms are going to have to fight for the heart and brains of your children in the United States of America. And you can't do that if you haven't got the comfort to go in front of Yahweh and grumble. Because you're going to feel inadequate at some point in this whole thing. And God's going to want to hear that. Just come to him and who he is. And he will pour the wisdom and the kindness and the patience and the love and the compassion you need. And not just for you, for everybody that's watching you, because that's what Ruth did to Naomi. Faith in the why moments, look at, I want to look at verses 14 through 18. Verse 14 says, then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Verse 16, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For you go, I will go. And when you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me. Capital. Here, actually, Ruth uses Yahweh. Do you see where Ruth got attracted to her faith? By her mother. She's not her mother-in-law. Which is a term we give Naomi. She's Ruth's mom. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything puts me to death, parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. You do not fight the sovereign God of the universe. You take that young lady with you, and you raise her up. Ruth, having watched Naomi's reverence and faith in God, saw no other place she could go. No other place she could go. So when you ask God to make this as your, your type of mom, your kids are going to see it. But even more amazing than that, other, other people are going to see it. You will attract other young ladies to you other families to you. Husbands and fathers, your responsibility is to protect them. Cover them in prayers. Shower them in prayers. Honor them daily. I'm going to let you fathers go home and read First Peter. And there is a text in there that ought to give you shivers. And I'd be a bad shepherd not to tell you to go read it today. Don't fall into that trap. Because it will be your prayers, dads, that will hold up your brides during this time. In conclusions, Naomi's hardships led to approach God with reverence, but questions. God, who is eternally and perfectly trustworthy, unchangeable and cannot lie, heard her. His covenant protected her. And through Naomi, Ruth gave birth to a son named Obed. And Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. And through David, the greatest covenant, the greatest promise the creator of the universe ever made was established. The new and lasting covenant found only in Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, give us the spirit of the Old Testament saints. That there's times that we just need to uh, come to you in all your reverence and all your holiness. We thank you so much, Father, for the cross and the ability to cry out to you as Abba, Father. Uh, but even today, in the throne room of heaven, elders fall down prostrate in front of you. It seems like a tension that we have this freedom to call Abba, Father, but the need to fall down prostrate in front of you, I say it's a glorious freedom. <laughs> I find amazement in that freedom. So Father, to the mothers in this room and, and all mothers, to mothers 
that never gave birth, but they're mothering children they have coming in their lives. To those who are expectant, to grandmothers, Lord, let them just grab this truth that they can come to you with everything and their worries and their concerns and their whys. Just come to you as who you are. Let them feel free and comfortable to come to you that way. Father, let their faith grow. Let them be strong. And let that beautiful picture of attraction, not only to their children, but to the world, be their blessing. To the husbands and the fathers and the grandfathers, let us live in Peter's advice. But in all things, Father, let us totally rest in the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. Amen.